Allergy season's really bad for me and for everybody, I feel like, but mostly for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just throwing myself a pity party. Just leave it alone. Let me be pitiful. I am! I'm not stopping you! Okay. <clears throat> Charming! <laughs> Heavens almighty! Alright, welcome back to True Crime Salt Lime Podcast. Really sorry we took a week off, but there's this little thing called life. Sometimes it gets in the way. I'm Carissa. I'm Melanie. And here we go. True Crime Salt Lime, episode numero quattro. Yep, we're talking about the Blue River murder today. I'm ready. Alright, Stephanie Roller is our victim. Stephanie Willa Roller was born on May 9th, 1969 in Colorado. She always had dreams of going to the West Coast. I actually found this weird thing that her mom wrote. She was conceived in California, but born in Colorado, so they think that's why she wanted, wanted to, to go, go back. back. I don't know. You know, I was conceived in Idaho. Zero desire to go back there. Yeah. So she had dreams of going back to the West Coast. I say that. She never was really later, but... She had up. something drawing her to the yes. West Coast. There's this, like, urge inside of her. Yes. The strong force within her. And not to the West Coast to be famous or any of that shitty yeah. thing. But she ended up on the West Coast yeah. in Oregon, not California. Nope, Oregon. She Oregon. worked for a national forest. I couldn't figure out exactly in what capacity she worked for the national forest, but she worked there and that's where she met a man named Dale Bruner. They had a seemingly super happy relationship. They were always smiling. They were always together. Friends of theirs said that they were just like inseparable. After about three years of dating, Dale proposed, and then they eloped to, of all places, Fiji. Must be nice. Is that West? Just kidding. <laughs> I know where it is. I know where Fiji is. It was a joke. Yeah, it's it's in the Bahamas. Yeah, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where Fiji is. Edit that out. I'm, hold on. I feel like I have to Google that now. Google! To the Google machine! <laughs> where is Fiji? Oh, it's the first thing that pops up. Where exactly is Fiji located? Does this give you any information? <laughs> uh, it's so, a big map of blue. <laughs> yeah, so for those of you listening, um, it's just a blue map with a couple white dots and no so real... It's a, it's a little white dot in the middle of the blue yep. um, next to the American Samoa, kind of. Not really next to. Mm-mm. In the same blue. They're both islands. That's it. Swell. So uh, <laughs> that's where they eloped. And moving on. Uh, had a super happy marriage. They ended up having three kids and settled down in Silverthorne, Colorado, which is not cheap. I just want everybody to know that because not everybody knows where Silverthorne is. It's near Breckenridge. Which is a big ski town. In Colorado. Where everything is expensive. Like a flabbity jillion dollars. Oh, do you want this one bedroom house? That'll be approximately two million. <laughs> sorry that your kitchen is in your bathroom. <laughs> but not sorry. Where's my Real easy to put out fires. So Dale was a photographer and Stephanie was a dance instructor. I'm not going to lie. That makes me think of House Hunters. <laughs> I'm a photographer and she he's she's a dance instructor. And we have a budget of $2 million. Find us a nice house, please. This one does not have the type of tile I wanted in my bathroom. <laughs> this one doesn't have a pool and that's a non-negotiable for me. I, like, I don't know, I, that's all I can think about. Like, maybe they were on House Hunters. Did we investigate that? Were they on House Hunters? No, they were on Killer Affairs or something like that. Oh, close! But not, <laughs> not close. <laughs> okay, so they had a seemingly perfect relationship, which you know means some shit's going down behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, it's only perfect on the IG. Uh, <laughs> on the Facebook. Yeah. They posted about each other all of the time, which you know means they didn't even love each other. They slept they in separate bedrooms. probably didn't even live in the same house. See, they now they're on two mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Makes me really sad. <laughs> I wish I had two million dollars. That's a lie. I wish I had twenty thousand dollars. Two thousand dollars actually would be pretty good. Two hundred bucks. Tell him to give me a twenty. I'll settle. I'll settle. <laughs> I'll settle. I'm not greedy. <laughs> so their seemingly perfect relationship was way different in real life than how they portrayed it. The article I read said that their relationship was quote riddled with secrets, which seems very ominous. Harry Potter esque. <laughs> It was full of Voldemort. (laughs) (laughs) And the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Um, One of the secrets, apparently there were many, but the big one. The big one, the Riddler. Um, The the one to end all secrets was that Stephanie was having a very intense emotional affair, which means nothing physical happened. They were just emailing. Okay, all right. Um, With her dance partner, a physical therapist and married man, Named Ron Holthouse. I have a few follow-up questions. Okay. Um, one, how did she find a straight dance partner? What kind of what kind of dancing was this? Was it two-stepping? Because I'm pretty sure those are the only ones that are straight. I also, don't, I don't really was he really straight or was he married so that way she was his beard and he was like, I better keep this going. I mean, I he just, was married to a woman and then was having an affair with another woman. So I feel like he likes the movies. He likes the movies. <laughs> I, just, I just find that really interesting. Like, she found a very unique... Individual. Not only did she find a straight man in dance. Well, maybe that's not so weird. Because at first I was going to say, you know, she found a straight man in dance who's already married. But I imagine the pool of straight men is already pretty small. So most of them are probably married already. Probably. So you had to dip into that married yeah, pool. Yeah, you had really. to dip into the married pool. If you wanted a dance partner slash straight lover, you needed to dip into the married or having an affair pool. But right. not really an affair. It was just emotional. We just said that we loved each other a they lot. They just emailed. I would assume some pretty raunchy things, but who knows? Very uh, vivid. (laughs) Very vivid emails. Well, because to me, I'm like, if you were just like, oh, I love you, you're so great, you could totally play that off and be like, oh, no, we're just really good friends. True, true that. If it's like real raunchy, how are you going to play that off? Oh, no, I talk to all my friends that way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I did... Just an interesting point to note. That's all. That's all. Um, so in the course of her relationship, she was Stephanie was growing, I guess, fearful of her relationship with Dale because he was having like these really violent reactions to things, being very aggressive physically. And um, she ended up actually reaching out to the advocates of victims of assault. Advocates of victims of assault to report. He, how violent his behavior was, and he, she, like, made the decision that she wanted to leave Dale. After that meeting, she went and told a friend, if anything happens to me, know that Dale did it, which is ominous. (laughs) She filed for divorce in November of 2010, and then on the 22nd, she got into a heated argument with Dale, um, and she left the house to, quote, clear her head. Uh, And then... She never comes back. You knew that was coming, right? Yeah, I would hope so. It was not called the Blue River Argument. (laughs) Um, The next morning, after she didn't return home, um, Dale finally reported her missing. It's important to note, so you're talking the 22nd of November, so that's like Thanksgiving week. And in 2010, it was a particularly brutal winter. 
around Thanksgiving in Colorado. So overnight, it got down to like one degree, like negative 10 with wind chill, and there was like heavy, heavy snowfall. Even if like she just went out to clear her head, there she would have been... had to go in like a vehicle to not freeze to death. Yeah, she would have frozen to death. Also, is there any information like did she take a car when they had their argument the... and she left to clear her head, or did she like take a stroll? I don't know. They, there was a missing poster, and it said like the last last scene wearing like a red quilted jacket and jeans. So I would assume she left on foot, based upon that description. Not like she was last seen in this green SUV, probably Maybe... a Subaru Forester because they're in Salisbury somewhere. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's funny because if if it were snowing, and I got in a heated argument with my significant other, the I would make them leave. Like, <laughs> But I probably wouldn't have gotten in a vehicle because I don't like driving in the snow. So right. again, I circle back to my previous point of you, telling them they have to leave. Or you'd be like, I need to go into a different room in the house. Like, I need to not be anywhere near you. Yeah. Not I, like, I'm going to go for a stroll. I wouldn't be like, I'm upset. I'm going to go outside. In because, the blizzard. Because that will make me less upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. But yeah, so Dale didn't report her missing until the next morning after she didn't return home. Which is, I think it's strange. They didn't really raise any red flags based upon this. Whatever. I mean, so, maybe it was, like, a normal thing for her to... She wasn't really... They said that she was really outdoorsy. So I don't know if it was just, like, not something that they were concerned about because when she needed to clear her head, she would always go take a walk. Interesting. Taking a walk and being gone for hours on end when you went outside in the blizzard seems very different to me. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. But anyway. Like, could she have gone to a friend's house? Did she have a friend that she... I don't know. They didn't really say. Okay. But anyway, so it took four days to find her body. And they found her lifeless body floating in the Blue River four days after she was reported missing. So it was clearly not that she fell victim to the blizzard. Like, she did not, it wasn't that she froze to death. She had been hit over the head so hard that her skull was broken, which is really heavy blow, I feel like. Yeah. And then she was strangled so aggressively that a bone in her neck was broken. Apparently, your vertebrae is supposed to be pretty tough. If you strangle somebody correctly, you will break a bone in their neck. There's a correct way and an incorrect way to do it? Yes. I've heard a podcast about it. They're talking about it in, um, I think it was Serial when, with Adnan and Kay. I don't recall that. Okay, but so I'm if you strangle somebody, remember. like there's a bone that breaks in your neck if you strangle them correctly. Like if you strangle them to like kill them. Interesting. There's a bone that you'll break in their neck. Interesting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so apparently, whoever her murderer is... Knew that. Or or is just a naturally skilled human in... Aggression. I was going to say choking out people to kill them, but... but <laughs> yes, los dos. Um, <laughs> los dos! <laughs> um, and then this what? is our Spanish-speaking episode. <laughs> Hola! <laughs> but she was apparently, after all of this, she was still alive and then thrown into the river. Oh my god. Yeah. So, How cold. <laughs> That's the first thing you think. I just, I mean, I got chills because that is, like, really, really terrible. But then, like, you're alive. There's nothing you can do. And you're, like, floating in a river. So you're, like, dying and freezing to death well, all at the like, same time. The like, only thing I can hope is that she was not conscious. Yeah. Like, maybe alive but not conscious when she was thrown into the river. Oh. Um, so she was thrown into the river essentially to, presumably, to die of drowning and or hypothermia. Oh. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. Oh. I thought my computer died. 
Um, so a week after her body was discovered in the midst of her murder investigation, they did throw a memorial for her because she was super, super, like, loved in the town. Like, everybody knew who she was and everybody really liked her. In attendance at her memorial was a CBI agent, which stands for Colorado Bureau of Investigation. It is not a typo of FBI and or CSI. (laughs) (laughs) The CBI agent, whose name was Greg Sater, and he makes mention that Dale Bruner was acting particularly strange throughout this memorial. He would look around the room and be totally fine, like kind of chill, whatever. And then if somebody came up and started to talk to him, he would have a mental break, sob and cry and be in hysterics and all this other stuff. After the person he was talking to, or who was trying to talk to him would leave after he's, you know, having a meltdown, then he would like return right back to acting completely normal. I mean, in Dale's defense, <gasps> you're playing devil's advocate. Whoa. I know, look out, this is not the role that I typically play. <laughs> Usually I'm like this, Jerk. <laughs> you can say asshole. I, um, I realized I dropped the F-bomb like 27 times in episode two, so I'm really trying to like watch myself. I was listening to it and I was like, oh, Melanie, you sound like such a lady. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I belched in that episode. I don't even want to hear it, lady Melanie. <laughs> but anyway, in Dale's defense, when you go through something like that, you kind of, at, at a funeral of someone that you're like close to, close to you're kind of in a fog, and it's like you actually do, like there's so much going on and like planning a memorial, processing the loss of that person, and he's a dad, so and he's the like... the brutality of how she died, too. Yeah, right? like I feel like you just kind of go into a fog, and then like of course when people come up and talk to you and like make you refocus on it, of course you have a breakdown. But okay. I'm, I'm assuming that it was maybe like a little more... Played. Yeah, because like I think about... Like, my dad, when my mom passed away, like, my dad just went into, like, survival mode. I never saw him cry. Nothing in my life ever changed. Like, it was just going through the motions. But then as I got older, I found out that, like, when people would talk to him, he would... Lose it a little. Yeah, and not necessarily lose it, but, like, he would break down and cry. But he didn't really, like, put on that persona in front of everybody, you know? I so, guess, yeah. And for the record, my dad did not murder my mom, just so we're clear. Um <laughs> Not trying to relate those two things here, but I don't know. I It's just, the only way this seems, like, strange to me is if it is very much played up. Played up. Because even in, I don't know, because people will, like, come up to you and be like, remember the one time? And you, like, kind of laugh, but you, like, kind of cry. The only thing I can, like, picture in my head is, like, he's truly, like, guttarily laughing. And then, oh, like, God. When, you know what I mean? Like, it would, so it would have to be that extreme, I feel like. But I, to me, I feel like for it to be noted... A bureau investigator to, like, make note of it. It would yeah. have to be, like... It would have to be... Really abnormal. Yes. Like, laughing and smiling and joking. And crying. And then, like, hysterical sobbing. Kind of like the Joker. Yeah. Like and especially, like, I guess on the day of a funeral, like, it's just such a morbid day that there's not really being okay and there's not really ferocious tears. You know? It's just kind of... Mellow. Yeah, you're just, like, so overwhelmed and so sad that you're just kind of, like, very monotone about everything. Everything. But, I don't know, just not saying that Dale's a great guy, just trying to say, like, it's not totally abnormal to have emotions fluctuate at a time like this. Well. Sorry, tangent, tangent. On top of his 
bizarre reaction. He was also really inconsistent with the stories he would tell about what happened that night. Oh, and, so like, more suspicious. I should have let you finish before but I... But it's fine. It's um, <laughs> and the tangent was good, right? <laughs> yeah, he couldn't keep his story straight about what happened to her and what happened when they got into their fight and what their fight was about and when she left and why she left. None of it stayed the same. You know what's so interesting to me is like people that lie in these cases, how hard is it to make one story and stick to it? Well, like, and that's the thing too. Like I was, okay, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh-huh. Um, but another one I was reading is if, or list reading. I read a podcast I was reading. If you're too rehearsed, that's another sign that you're faking something. Oh, so like you're, they expect your story to change a little bit. So there was like no physical evidence about what happened to her though. Clearly she was murdered, but there was nothing like It must beyond have like that. snowed a lot then. Because you'd think if there were snow on the ground there'd be evidence of blood or footprints or, or tracks or something. Something. But it must have snowed It snowed a ton. A lot. I don't remember that. So there was no like hard physical evidence, but they continued to like try to find something and pin it on someone. I hate to say pin it on someone, that makes it feel like they're making shit up. But Yeah. But they're trying to solve what happened to her. Like, right. give the family closure. Get somebody who's obviously very brutal off mm-hmm. of the streets. They only had ever, like, three suspects in mind. So there was Dale, her husband, obviously, because the husband did Her it. husband is always a suspect. Um, Ron, her lover. Her emotional affair. Right, not physical one. But, um, and then Ron's wife. I could see why she'd have some motive. But I don't know. I mean... Ron's wife must have been a pretty butch lady to be able to, like, bash a skull in and also <laughs> sprinkle the hell out of someone. Like, I mean, think about that. If she's, like, oh, shit, 110 funny. pounds and 5 feet tall, maybe not. Like, <laughs> but it's fine. She's got to be so butchful. <laughs> After Ron and Ron's wife were interviewed and interrogated or whatever, they were pretty quickly ruled out as suspects. Oh, well, that leaves one. I can do math. Which Look at me go. I really want to know what the conversation between Ron and his wife was. So, I am having this emotional affair, and this woman is... And do you think that's how they justify it? They're like, we all, it was only emails. Right. But also, she was just brutally murdered, and it wasn't me. <laughs> but the police think it might be you. So did you know, or did you not know? They think it might be you. So can you just come down to town with me? Yeah. Like, is that fine? Like, <laughs> We can uh, discuss our pending divorce on the way home. Because that's happening. Because turns out you're my beard. I'm actually gay. I tried to use her as a cover-up, too, because, you know, maybe if I was with two women. But my heart's just in the dance. Yeah. I I just want to dance with somebody. I want to feel it. <laughs> I want to dance with somebody. Shocking twist. He is Whitney Houston. <laughs> affair man and his wife are no longer suspects, which leads us to one suspect, the husband. Shock of shocks. It's always the husband. It's always the husband. If I learned anything from NCIS and Tony Denozo, it is it is always the significant other. Which makes me feel like you should never have a significant other. You as in like everyone or you as in like me specifically? I mean, yes. <laughs> Yikes. Los dos? <laughs> okay. Hola, Espanol? Okay. <laughs> 
No, I mean you like it as people in general. I mean, they say that you could never know somebody completely anyway. It's true. Eight months after yeah. Stephanie's death. The investigators finally had enough circumstantial evidence to arrest Dale Bruner, which, and I didn't look this up, but I can imagine that in order to convict somebody on circumstantial evidence alone, you need to have a whole lot of it. Yeah. Because, like, circumstantial evidence typically in court goes nowhere. Mm Mm-hmm. It just creates a hearsay, but remember, to have a conviction, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. So circumstantial is very, very hard to use to prove someone did something. So there needs to be a whole lot of circumstance. Mm Mm-hmm. But he still was insisting that he was innocent and actually ended up rejecting a deal that they offered him because obviously they only had circumstantial evidence. So they were like, tell you what, you give us a guilty plea and we're only going to give you 24 years. Which also, I, you know, if he did do it, and you're only putting him in jail for 24 years, I would not feel safe in 24 years. Okay, but here's the other like, thing, too, is he's 50 at this point. So 24 years, he'd be 74. Isn't there some murderer who, like, was in jail and got out when they were, like, a thousand years old and went on another killing spree? Wasn't that a thing? I don't know, but if it is, we should cover that murderer. I'm pretty sure it's a thing somewhere. We'll we'll look into that. We need to get it was definitely an episode on Criminal Minds, which is usually inspired by someone real. <laughs> I said inspired, loosely. Loosely inspired. (laughs) And they don't make that shit up ever. (laughs) So he took his chances in court, which... Bold move, Cotton. Bold move. Ballsy, ballsy. So he went to trial in July of 2012. So almost two years. Almost two years. A year and a half is close. After she died. Wait, no. Yes, confirmed. A year and a half. (laughs) Got me there for a second. (laughs) <laughs> We're not even drunk. This is tea math. This is tea math. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy. Um. So in the in the in the proceedings, is that how they say it? Trial proceedings. It, in the you could have convinced me with it. Okay. Um. Yeah. In the those things. Um. <laughs> it was brought up that Stephanie actually had filed a restraining order against Dale only six weeks before her murder. She did actually rescind the restraining order after only a week. Okay, I was going to say, how long does it take a restraining order to go into place then? Why was she around? I think they're pretty immediate, right? She had enough on him to get a restraining order. Because I feel like you have to have some sort of, like, Is that circumstantial then? Would that technically be circumstantial evidence? Yes. Because after a week, she let him back in the house. Interesting. But it's not uncommon in domestic abuse relationships for that to happen. For a restraining order to be set in place and then rescinded. Yeah. Because... That's the thing, is people who are really good at domestic abuse, I hate to say it like that, are really charming, and they can, like, charm their way back into situations yep. and charm their way and back into their And like, the other person is somewhat dependent on them, mm-hmm. which can be some leverage. Harry situation. Yep. So she allowed Dale back into the house, and also there was an ex-girlfriend of Dale's who testified on the prosecution's behalf. She dated Dale in the early 90s. So if you think about it, they met, Dale and Stephanie Stephanie met in the early 90s, 93. And this woman that testified was dating Dale in the early 90s. So you have to think it's pretty back-to-back. Yeah. But, I mean, dating can be kind of a loose term. Were we together for three years or were we together? She was a live-in girlfriend. So they had to have been together for a while. Okay. See, Um, key piece of information. Yeah. Good follow-up. So she testified on the prosecution's behalf that... When they were dating, he had actually strangled her into a state of unconsciousness. Oh, my. And thus, their relationship ended. So, he clearly had this mean streak in him. And strangling. 
there's a connection there as yep. well. Yeah. That becomes, I guess, uncircumstantial, right? No, I think it's still circumstantial. Why would that still be circumstantial? Because I am not a lawyer. I am not a prosecutor. <laughs> Just believe me, okay? <laughs> Nor am I a murderer. I, none of this. I like murder. I like murder. <laughs> but so clearly in the heightened state of anger, Dale was capable of some pretty nasty shit. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so there, the trial wasn't super long. There was a week and a half of testimony, which seems like it's long, but it's really not. I mean, when I think yeah, of for a murder trial, when I think of murder trials, I think of like months and months yeah, and like months and months. OJ Simpson. Yeah, status. like yeah. years. You're talking about yeah. like sitting on this jury. So they only had a week and a half of testimony, and the, the jury only took four hours to come down with a guilty verdict. Well, they sure believed that circumstantial evidence. Four hours. I Beyond mean, a reasonable doubt. Isn't it like three hours to fill the paperwork out? I, like, <laughs> I don't know. So he was found guilty on all six counts. So it was one count of second-degree murder because they didn't think it was premeditated. Two counts of assault and three counts of tampering with evidence, which I could not for the life of me figure out what the tampering with evidence would have been. Interesting. But three counts of it is a lot. I mean, her body is evidence, right? Like, if he threw her body in the river. Oh, I guess. I would I think know. that that would be one of the assault charges. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You're usually right, so I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna roll with what you said. No, I pretend like I'm usually right. You yeah, I, right. I just <laughs> convince everybody that I'm right. That I'm right. Yeah. I am that charming. So he was sentenced to the maximum, which is 112 years. Which is such a weird number to me. Which is so much <laughs> higher than 24. Yeah, 112 years is what he was sentenced to. And he has to serve a mandatory 86 years before he can apply for parole. I don't know who comes up with these numbers. 112, 86. Right? Like, I don't know. Let's just make it a nice round 90. Right? <laughs> so he was 50 at the time he was sentenced. So he's not eligible for parole until he's 136 years old. So you're going to be shocked. When he gets out on parole, 136, will you be scared? Probably. I'd be like, great. Now he's a professional choker and he's loose at the age of 136. Thanks, modern medicine. I don't think they'll be using the modern medicine on. I hope not. That would be a very poor use of tax dollars, I feel like. You know, we're going to make this this murderer, we're going to make him live to 136 so he can see freedom. Are you convicted of a violent crime? You're our guy. Now? Yes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean. We're on Blueberry, which I don't know who actually uses that, so I put us I on didn't even know it was like a thing. thing. Okay. Um, and Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Which, do us a favor and like actually download it instead of just listening because it does shit for our stats if you just listen. Yeah, please download it. And please comment and like and share the fuck out of us because we have approximately four of you that listen. But you mean a lot to us. You are our everything and more. Touch dramatic, but I'll roll with it. Everything and more. Bye! Bye!